Coming up on Chasing the Natty, we're continuing our Crash Course series for each position in CFF, and this week, we're going to tackle the guys who often put their teams, as well as your fantasy teams, on their backs, aka the running backs. We'll be covering the top players of the position, who we think are overrated and underrated, what we think about the running backs who have risen throughout the offseason, and what kind of super duper deep sleepers we could find that could massively pay off down the road. Strap in everybody, it's about to be a wild ride, all this and more coming right after this. Junior touchdown! Marvelous Mark! Ball next to the end This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chase and Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. We are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus of Canton Podcast Network. You can find us on your podcast feeds and YouTube every Monday morning at 7 a.m. If you want to support the great work we are doing over here for the college fantasy industry, head on over to campusofcanton.com and subscribe there with one of our three amazing, fantabulous tiers. You'll find everything you need for your CFF, Devi, and C2C needs, including rankings, articles, tools, and even more than that. On YouTube, you'll also find our CFF mock draft live streams, where we do a CFF draft every Sunday night with a different guest up until the start of the season. This week, we have on Thor Nystrom from Fantasy Pros. He is not somebody that has really heard a ton on different podcasts in the industry, so you definitely want to tune in for that one right there. He's been playing college fantasy probably longer than I've been alive, so you definitely want to hear that. You can also find me and the show on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared. You can find the show at Chasing the Natty. Got a couple awesome things going on around here. First of all, home field. You know, those guys who have the awesome vintage college football fan gear. We got a discount with them. Promo code CAMPUS2CANTON. You can get 15% off all of your vintage gear over there. And also, make sure to check out the CFF guide now released on the Campus Kent website. has everything you need to get ready for CFF this upcoming year, including player rankings, team breakdowns, and even more than that, all for only 20 bucks, An absolute steal. Now that I got all of that out of the way, let's get into the show today. We're talking running backs here, and to help us out with that, I have Mr. Austin Nace from CampusKent.com, one of the founders over there. Austin, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Jared. Thanks for having me on. I was worried. I I think this is the show on the feed that I have been on like least recently. Starting to think I'd never be invited back. So thank you for having me on here uh, today to talk about running backs. I, I love talking running backs. Yeah, I, I it, is, it really has been too long. I think the last time I had you on was, I believe, when we did a... Um, we did a mailbag last time that you were on, I think. That sounds correct. Yeah. And when and yeah. when I when I invited you on, you were like, I'm not a CFF expert. You really want me answering these fan mails? I'm like, you're gonna provide a different perspective. And since then, you've gotten a lot better at the CFF side of things here. So that's why you're gonna help us out with the running backs here today, Austin. So 
let's kind of go ahead and hop right into this um, by just discussing running backs in general this year, Austin. When you look at the running back landscape for CFF this year, for just production for this year, what do you see from kind of a 10,000-foot view? Yeah, so as somebody who is fairly new to CFF, and I, I do, I, I play in one pure CFF league, a dynasty league, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get a little more familiar with it. I know that every year there are a lot of guys on like NFL fantasy that like we've not really seen them play before. We're really trusting that the system and, and the news out of the coaching staff is what it, it kind of gives them the, the value here early in the year. But it seems like this year we have a lot more new faces than we usually do, especially around the top of rankings backs that we've maybe seen a handful of games out of. And that's pretty much it. So I am, it's really, really interesting. I think this year, more than a lot of years, I'm actually diversifying my running backs just because I'm not all in on really any of these guys outside a couple of names. So I, it's really interesting that you bring that up because it's something I made a point of when early on in the off season, running back got absolutely decimated by the number of transfers and the number of people heading to the NFL Looking at the top 24 running backs from last year, I see one, two, three, four, five, five running backs from last year who are on the same team as they were last year or are still in college. You had two of them transfer, two Mac guys transfer, and then everybody else declared for the NFL draft. It was just an absolute gutting of the running back position. But then you have the next tier among the running backs 25 to 36 from last year, you have 10 of those guys returning. So we have a really solid kind of top tier of guys here. Um, you had Blake Corum, Quinshawn Judkins, Raheem Sanders, top 12 guys. We'll get to them in a second here. They all come back. And then guys like Will Shipley, LaDamian Webb, Sambitson Evans, um, Michael Wiley, Saban, Gira, Braylon Allen. These guys kind of make up that second tier right there of like really strong guys there. But like you said, like that's a huge group of guys right there that some of them are going to move up into that top 12 range and are going to be warranted picks here. But a lot of them, maybe they just kind of get stuck in that kind of RB 25 to 36 range. But we'll definitely get into that. Let's go ahead and move on over to the top 12 running backs on the year here. Awesome. I'm going to run through these here real quick. For those of you who are just getting into CFF, kind of coming back from the offseason here, you're not familiar with all the names. I'll run through this real quick. Our number one running back for the year is Mr. Quinshawn Judkins, running back out of Ole Miss. Follow that with Mr. Rasheen Ali, running back out of Marshall. Number three, Mr. Raheem Sanders out of Arkansas. Number four, Braylon Allen, running back not out of UTSA like the graphic says, but out of Wisconsin. He is still over there. Don't worry, guys. Um, we got Blake Corum, running back out of Michigan. You got Damian Webb, running back out of South Alabama. Number seven, Kavorian Barnes, running back out of UTSA. He's the one who's actually at UTSA. Number eight, Saban Gira, running back out of Ohio. Number nine, Mr. Frank Gore Jr., running back out of Southern Miss. Number 10, Will Shipley, running back out of Clemson. Number 11, Trey Benson out of Florida State. And then number 12, Marquez Cooper, formerly of Kent State, now moving over to another Mac school in Ball State. So, Austin, when you see the top 12 guys here, kind of what's your general vibe out of these guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Judkins is the number one, just feels like a no-brainer to me. There's not a lot of other experience in that backfield. 
Um, and we know he can do it. He he, he did it last year. Um, I think there are there are names here that you're kind of like. I I, I think really after four or five, maybe there are red flags with all these guys that you kind of have to, you know, your, your rankings will probably vary just based on uh, how, you know, some red flags maybe matter more to you and less, less to you, or you're, you know, uh, maybe a little less concerned about, for instance, you know, Frank Gore, you know, had three big games last year and nothing else. Maybe you're thinking that, that, you know, evens out a little bit this year or a guy like Will Shipley, you know, maybe his rushing production dips slightly based on like a market perspective, but if he's catching more passes, we don't care. So I think all of them kind of have like a, a thing about them and we're just kind of trying to figure out like which of these things is, is least worrisome to us. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think there's really the big three, the the three that I see consistently go off in the first round. Uh, Judkins, Ali, Sanders. I have almost zero problems with anybody picking any of those guys. The only thing I might say is that, like, again, I just value wide receivers a little bit more in the first round, so I'm, I haven't really grabbed a ton of those guys this year, although Rasheen Ali I've grabbed a couple of times. He's probably the one I'm the most likely to grab in the first round uh, because Judkins is usually off the board before I'm willing to go after him. Although he's fantastic, obviously. But you're right. After that point, you can kind of poke holes in pretty much every single one of these guys, including some guys here at the top. Like you said, we have guys here who had really, really big games, and kind of that's what propelled them to their good finishes. Like outside of Frank Gore Jr., LaDamian Webb was also kind of like that. Had two really, really big games in the middle of the year that made up for almost a third of his production last year. But, you know, he was still pretty good other weeks, so you're not like hating it too much there. But let's go ahead and kind of break down, because we don't have time to go over all 12 of these guys, we are going to break down each of Austin and I's two most important guys that we think it is important to discuss here. Like like I said, Judkins, Ali, Sanders, I think they're all amazing. You guys know that I think they're amazing. There's other guys here that are kind of been under-discussed that I want to bring up here. So we'll go ahead and start with my guys here. And... The two guys I'm going to go with here are one, Blake Corum, and then Marquez Cooper. So Blake Corum is, again, our RB5, typically being taken around the second round there. He was absolutely incredible last year. He basically carried my Kings Classic team throughout that entire year, was just consistent, consistent, consistent in conference play. Again, he was RB7 last year. From week three onward, he finished outside of the top 30 running backs, twice and both of those guys were in the top 25 or top 45 performances so he was just consistent every single week except for one week against Ohio State where he got injured near the beginning of that game he again he was just absolutely incredible but a lot of that occurred while Mr. Donovan Edwards his partner in crime over there with the Wolverines was kind of being brought back pretty slowly on the injury front got injured pretty early on in the year they were very slow to bring him back, get him the workload. And with Corum, you know, doing Corum things, there was no need to really bring Edwards as back as they or back as quickly as they did. But once they had Edwards and Corum got injured, Edwards got absolutely unleashed. Three games in a row there, 20 plus carries, 216 yards, 185 yards, 119 yards, just absolutely ripped apart his next three opponents right there. So that really kind of brings it all back to what does it look like when both of these guys are healthy? Because we never really got to see that last year. 
Because again, Cora did great when Edwards was injured and limited. Edwards did great when Corum was injured and limited. So what does it really look like when both of those guys are out there? I'm still of the opinion, as as is reflected in my rankings, Corum's still going to be the main guy there. I think Edwards was healthy in a lot of those later games last year, and he still wasn't quite getting the volume that he would get after Corum goes down. I think that's what it's going to kind of look like down the stretch. They might have said, like, oh, we're still bringing him back. I still think Corum's your main guy there. So... Austin, do you have any thoughts on Quorum here? Maybe a, a counterpoint there as to why he may be going too high here. He won't be able to finish in the top 12 again because of Edwards. Yeah, I am not, I don't rank CFF, but I do have to kind of marry together a couple sets of rankings to come up with my C2C rankings. So I, when I rank Blake Quorum, I actually bumped him down a few spots from where you guys have him. And basically how I do my rankings is I, I build out like my Debbie and freshman list. And then I take your guys' CFF rankings and try to basically parse out like the value and the tiers and where they should go within it. And Blake Quorum actually bumped down a couple spots from where you guys have him. And I think there's two big reasons for it. One, whether you want to believe it or not, they keep saying they want to pass the ball more this year. Yep. Which I think takes the ball out of his hands a little bit. And I think generally speaking, they want to have Edwards as the receiving back a lot more often than they want Quorum. So I think that hurts. A little bit and then the other thing obviously as you mentioned is just Edwards being there in the way gobbling up some of those touches and I don't think anybody realized how injured Edwards was last year until fairly recently with the, the hand and he had yep. a, a lower leg injury and and all these things kind of factoring in that that probably held him back a little bit at least from a usage standpoint so I expect to see a little more increased usage from Edwards this year. I know we've said that for three years now, but I, I think if he's healthy, that happens. And I think if they are serious about passing the ball a little bit more, I think both of those things hurt Corum's ceiling a little bit. But I do still think like he is one of the safer options that you can take in drafts because we know how they want to use him. Mm -hmm. And we know that their quarterback isn't a huge guy that's going to take away a ton of uh, red zone opportunities. So I, I still think the the like the 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 red zone opportunities are going to be there for him. Touchdowns will vault him up a little bit. So I, he's safe. I just don't love projecting him as like a top five back overall, personally. Yeah, because even with the incredible year he was having last year, the highest he ever got was RB three. So like, but like you said, even if he cuts back a little bit this year, like what's his floor? Like RB twenty? Like I still think I. He's 100% worth taking in this range because you know he's not going to be like a Lou Nichols was last year, where it absolutely just got crushed unless Corum gets injured again, in which case that's a whole other can of worms that gets opened up right there. Other running back in this range that I want to discuss is Mr. Marquez Cooper. And Austin, I will ask you, of these 12 guys, what is different about Cooper compared to the rest of the 12 in this range right here? I don't. I, I'm. I don't have confirmed weights on the top of my head for some of these guys, but he's got to be the smallest guy by at least twenty pounds here. Well, there is there is that that isn't that is one one difference. But I was thinking of something else here. I kind of referred okay, that, to it that's earlier. That's all I got. That's he's all the, I got. He's the only transfer out of the top twelve oh, guys here. Okay. He's the only guy who transferred to a different who is at a different school than he was last year. Again, you got other guys here in the top twelve, and even guys in the top twenty four who were at their school last year. Maybe they weren't the guy, but they're stepping up into the guy role this year. Marquez Cooper is one of two transfers in the top 24 here. 
Now, he is transferring over from Kent State to the Ball State. It's not like you have a huge change in competition there, so you would expect that he would do well. But also, we're all kind of projecting that he will be the guy at Ball State. Like, plenty of reason to do so. I'm just saying, like, we kind of almost take, we throughout the offseason, we've kind of taken that for granted just a little bit because, again, we don't get a lot of information out of these MAC schools. We know what Marquez Cooper can do in the MAC, so we assume that he could probably do it at Ball State as well. But other transfer running backs have not worked out in this range in the past. Like, let me tell you about some guys last year. This is a pretty ugly list right here. Transfer running backs taken in the top 24 last year that really did not work out. Zach Evans, Ole Miss. Now, that worked out for a couple of weeks, but he kind of fell off throughout the year. Maybe you can say, okay, Black Swan event, Quinchon Judkins is a beast. We didn't see really see that coming. Corey Kiner, running back out of Cincinnati. Drafted as the RB21, finished as the RB232nd. Kamar Wheaton, running back out of SMU, drafted as a 24th running back, finished outside the top 300 in running backs. So as much as we like to project that a lot of these guys moving to the new schools, like it's just going to be the same thing there. I think we've got to be a little bit more careful than we have been with Marquez Cooper, but that's the big reason why I wanted to bring him up. I still think he's fantastic. I still think he can dominate in the Mac. Just know that if you are taking him as your number one running back for your team, that's a huge risk. I feel much better if you're taking him in like the second or third round if you already have another running back on your team. Austin, your thoughts? I've been guilty. I think of these top 12, he's probably the one that I've spent the least amount of brain power thinking about this offseason. Um, I do think I, I've been guilty of just assuming that he translates uh, because of the similar competition levels. There's no internal competition there. So it does it does feel a little different than some of these other guys from last year and i think like i liked evans and kiner last year did not like wheaton i think each of those you can kind of point to a separate issue for all of them that Fair maybe point. is more explainable than just uh transfer didn't acclimate so i i i i do think i feel pretty good about cooper not a sexy guy by any stretch um and i don't know exactly like what his huge receiving upside is going to be i'm hopeful that he that that he without but they're two major targets of their tight ends. I'm hoping that he can be a participant in the receiving game. Cause if he is, I, he does have some pretty nice upside there. Yeah. Again, being a smaller guy, scat back kind of size right there. I would imagine he has some pretty good speed and hands right there. But again, here I am going assuming again. So Austin, let's look at some of your guys. Who are the two most important guys that you think are in this range? Yeah, I put down uh, Rasheen Ali and, and Sia Bangura. Um, and uh, so starting with Ali, I mean, I just think the big question with him, and, and you wrote it down here and you summed it up well, does he pick back up where he was in 2021? And I think the evidence from the end of last year says yes, when he came back from what we found out later was actually an injury, uh, you know, 15 carries or so in the three games he came back and, and, and averaged over six yards per carry in two of those three games. So I, I'm just hoping that he has a full role there that he you know has completely recovered from the injury because if he has then i think he's just a no-brainer i know in cff leagues i think he's still valued very highly in c2c leagues which i play a lot more of i think there is a little bit of post-hype uh drop in his value so he, he's a really exciting guy to me personally just because i do think he if i had to actually pick a running back that finishes his rb1 this year i would probably pick rasheen ali I get the Judkins slightly above him. I personally would pick Ali. I think we've seen it from him before for a whole season. The level of competition, not great. Team's going to stink, but who cares? 
Yeah, again, they're, they're, they're going to ride him completely. And I was kind of looking at some of the other options that Marshall has over there. Um, I do kind of like Ethan Payne just a little bit. I think, like, if you're in a CFF Dynasty League, like, Ethan Payne should be somebody that you probably go ahead and grab and stash, like, right now. Because, again, Ali's going to leave probably after this year, and he could be a guy that takes over. But Ethan Payne was healthy all of last year, and Ali came in for three games and almost and, and did outproduce him on a yard-by-yard basis. So that tells me that this Marshall staff is fully ready to start utilizing Ali like they did again last year. No clue why they completely lied about why he was out for the entire year. That was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life. And it's not like the lie made it sound like less innocuous. Yeah, they, it was like, like a, they, they, they made his, it sound like he was like struggling with something in his personal. I was like, why don't you just say that he hurt his knee? Just say he hurt his knee. Maybe, maybe that is struggling in your personal life. Maybe he injured himself in his personal life. But like, still, just say he injured his knee. It's yeah. not hard. Yeah, I, I I don't know why they made it somehow. Like they chose the one option of the description that made it sound like wor- like more worrisome. Like I was like, I hope this dude's okay. Yeah, like more worrisome, or like that he like like was acting immature or something like that. Like I don't know. It was super super weird. Anyway. Talk to me about Bangura, Austin. Why are, do you consider him the other most important running back in this range to discuss? Yeah, I'm just interested to see. He's one of the few guys that are up here in the top, you know, 10 backs that we've seen. He's on the same team, assuming the same role. And that offense doesn't really change that much from last year if we're assuming that Curtis Rourke uh, is healthy going into the season, which I think we are now operating under that assumption. I think the big question for him for me is does he continue to get the receiving work that he did in some games last year? You know, there were games last year. He, I, I I don't think he's a dangerous receiver, which is what gives me pause about it. I think he's a capable receiver. And those guys that are just capable receivers worry me that they weren't necessarily part of the game plan. It was just kind of circumstances forced them into that role. If you look, I mean, he had four receptions in what a handful of games last year, four plus, but the most yards he picked up through the air, like five for 30, like that is not a dangerous receiver at all. That's a guy that sounds like Rourke was just in trouble and was dumping it off. I would say that is a dump off stat. (laughs) Exactly. There's there. I'm I'm assuming the a dots negative, you know, he's catching everything behind the line of scrimmage. So not a lot of value there. So I I'm just worried that if he doesn't have that part of the floor attached to him, that there may be more stinker games in there than maybe we want to believe going into the year. So I I'm really just worried about will his receiving role be the exact same that it was last year because again he is not a great receiver by any stretch of the imagination i mean in a ppr league even if you if he catches the ball for zero yards it's basically 10 yards worth of points so like it doesn't really matter as long as he's catching the balls 27 receptions that's a pretty decent ppr floor for a lot of running backs right there so i wouldn't be too worried about it as long as especially with uh foster also uh leaving after this year the tight end over there um rourke or um um is it marsh no, Harris. Marsh's um, uh, South Florida. Um, Harris, if they need a dump-off option, Bangura is going to be there for them. They don't have their tight end to dump off to as well anymore. So I think he's probably going to hit 27 receptions and more this year. Like you said, he's not going to be a guy that they you know do a slant route to or anything like that, target him 10 yards down the field or anything like that. But the, the thing that really sells with Bangura, though, is, again, just like his volume that he was getting at the end of last year. Five straight games to finish the year of 20-plus carries. Um, almost hit 30 carries in his in the bowl game against Wyoming there. Like, you give me tw- a guy with 20 touches on a week-by-week basis in the MAC, 
I give you a guy that probably is somebody that is carrying your teams on a week by week basis in CFF. My major question when I kind of started researching was like, okay, is he impacted at all if Rourke is out? Because like Sam Wiggles was hugely impacted last year when Rourke went out. I was curious to see if Bangura had kind of a similar dip in production. He didn't. If anything, it got better for him because they had to rely on him. So maybe if Rourke comes back, he gets a little bit less value there. But again, he does ha- he does have some receiving upside there. So maybe he gets a couple of those touchdowns from Rourke. Yeah, quite frankly, just if Rourke's there, I think the offense is better and a yeah. better offense. Just all you know, you you're just hoping there's there's longer drives and more touchdown opportunities. I mean, that that's essentially what that means. And high scoring games, gotta love yeah. the Mac. All right, sip of water there. Let's go talk about the next tier of running backs here. Let's go to the running backs 13 through 24. I'll read through these real quick. Number 13, Damian Martinez, running back out of Oregon. Number 14, Jace McClellan, running back out of Alabama. Number 15, Rodney Hammond Jr. out of Pitt. Number 16, Samson Evans out of Eastern Michigan. Number 17, Travion Henderson out of Ohio State. Number 18, Jaquindon Jackson out of Utah. Number 19, Raymond Davis, former running back out of Vanderbilt, now out of, out of Kentucky. Number 20, Mr. Nicholas Singleton out of Penn State. Number 21, LaQuint Allen out of Syracuse, back in his rightful place after he is not suspended for the year anymore. Number 22, Donovan Edwards out of Michigan. Number 23, Carson Steele out of UCLA. And number 24, Roman Hemby out of Maryland. I should clarify for everybody that these rankings are based off of the ECR we have for CFF over on campusacanton.com. If you are wondering where these numbers are coming from, it is not ADP. It is a average of all of our rankings between the five CFF experts we have over there. All right, Austin, looking at these next 12 guys, what do you see here, man? A lot of guys that are in split backfields, and I think we're just kind of hoping that they end up taking the reins or something happens to the other guy, and I think that's where you start getting some of the value. I don't know if I'm playing a pure CFF format that I love Travion here, or I love Nicholas Singleton here, or I love Donovan Edwards, but I think you can also uh, recognize that one injury to somebody else, like if you know Catron Allen goes down to Penn State, they don't have actually it's funny Penn State actually does not have a lot behind those guys this year like that Singleton could be in line for a huge workload um really same with Donovan Edwards there at Michigan I think the one guy that 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 probably doesn't apply to is Travion because they've got Hayden there and they've got yeah um uh, and like they, they, they've got other capable backs so he he might never own that backfield anyway um but I, I it's a lot of split backfields here even Carson Steele I mean he might be losing that job which I find to be fascinating yeah, again, like I fully, fully agree with you. A lot of guys in split backfields here, a lot of loaded backfields here, just guys on good teams over here. Again, Jace McClellan, Ohio State, um, Trayvon Henderson of Ohio State, Nicholas Singleton out of Penn State. These are all, and Donovan Edwards out of Michigan. All of these guys are on teams that we expect you, to dominate. You, you, for, you forgot a great team there, Jared. Come on, man. No, I'm not, I'm, I'm, Pitt. I'm, come not, on, I'm, man. I'm not doing that, Nate. I'm not doing oh, that, Austin. Um all of these guys are on teams that we just expect to dominate throughout the year. And the better part is when they're dominating, the game script helps out these running backs right here. So I think that's another kind of big thing that kind of creates a lot of floor for guys in this range. So Austin, let's start with your two main guys here. I know it says my guys here first on the sheet here, but you know, I'm kind. I want to let you go first this time. Uh, talk to us about your two guys here. One of which 
you just had to talk about him because you know you're a Pitt fan but also i do love i love him to death so i'm yeah, happy to talk yeah, about him well you wouldn't give Pitt their due here so I, i'm gonna have to to do that for us um yeah i'm really interested to see what happens with rodney hammond and for the record i am in on hammond this year i do think that he's going to have a good year I think my biggest question for him, and you wrote down replacing Izzy, but I think the real question mark is how good is he in the red zone? I think that's going to dictate a lot of his value. I can remember his freshman year when they were rotating him pretty hard with, with Izzy there. There were multiple drives where Izzy would basically get them down to like the 12. They'd pull him to give him a rest. They'd throw in Hammond and they'd give it to him twice and he'd lose yardage on both carries. Mm -hmm. And then they would put Izzy back in there and he'd punch it in. That happened a lot over the past couple of years. Hammond isn't tiny, but he's not big either. And I think more importantly, he just does not run with that much power. So I do think that could really dictate his ceiling this year is just how good is he in goal line situations and short yardage situations? Can they leave him in there for those or do they have to rotate him out for someone else? Between the 20s, I have no doubts about him at all. He actually looked better than Israel Bonaconda before he went down last year. I think people forget about that at the end of that WVU game. He was excellent uh, in that game before going down. So I I don't have any questions about him racking up those that yardage in the middle of the field. It's just going to be some of those, uh, you know, high value touches. Can he capitalize on those? and turn himself into kind of a touchdown machine. I also don't really know how good he is as a receiver. I think that's going to be a big question mark for him this year. Yeah, look, the the main thing that makes me excited about Hammond is when I look at his three games last year where he was the RB1 for the Panthers because Izzy either wasn't playing that game in the case of Syracuse and UCLA, or he actually, again, like you mentioned, he started off as the RB1 for Pitt last year in their very first game for in West Virginia. Now, was that by design? Was that just a hot hand situation? They were going to split between those guys, and then Hammond just happened to be better that game? I don't know. But regardless, we do have three looks here, and it kind of touches on a couple of the things you're asking about there, Austin. Against West Virginia, 16 carries, 74 yards, two touchdowns. Against Syracuse, 28 carries, 124 yards, and a touchdown. Against UCLA, 25 carries, 93 yards, and two touchdowns. All three of those games, less than five yards per carry. So he's not Izzy. He's not explosive. That's kind of the big thing there. And I don't expect him to be Izzy. Izzy was the RB2 last year. Hammond's being drafted in the RB10 plus range. I care way more about the safe, safe floor here. You take those three games right there and you extrapolate it out to 12 games, assuming that he's the RB1 every single week. You get yourself 269.6 fantasy points. That would have been good for RB8 last year. Now, Let's let's say again, Jared, that those three games were insane. Like again, 25 plus carries in two of them, five touchdowns over three games. That there's no way he can keep that up the entire year. Okay, let's give him 90% of the production. Let's dial, dial it back a little bit. RB17 last year would have been good for. 80%. RB23. The floor is super safe here with Rodney Hammond. I love, love, love him to death. And also you talked about the touchdowns. Again, I just kind of alluded to it there. In the games where he was like the clear guy, he took care of the opportunities at least last year. So I think that kind of tells you, or at least that you hope, that kind of shows that he's kind of figured some of that stuff out there. And we know that Narduzzi 
Love would rather it. jump off one of the bridges here in the city than pass the ball more than run the ball. So we know that they're going to run the ball no matter what. And they just hired an offensive coordinator out of Boston College who also loves to run the ball. So Hammond should be in for a really, really big year there. Talk to me about the other guy that you kind of highlighted here, Austin, Mr. Nicholas Singleton. Talented as hell guy, but what does he look like for CFF? Yeah, and... The formats I play, you know, he's probably, if not the first running back off the board in a startup set, top three for sure. Uh, we, you know, we feel pretty good about his athletic ability in terms of translating to the NFL. But I do think his CFF ceiling is capped this year as long as Katron Allen is there. I do think people have made a little bit too big of a deal out of Katron Allen, I believe, out touching him last year. Because I think if you go and look at the final few games, Singleton was actually out touching him by a pretty decent amount like i think if they had the coaching staff has their way singleton isn't like the guy but probably if they're splitting the backfield 60 40 he's the 60 guy and allen's the 40 guy and he does have that explosive ability so you do have to think that he can perform even only at you know not he's not getting the ball like rasheen ali is this year maybe even like a jace mcclellan or 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 some of these other guys that that probably have a, a a more consolidated touch share but I do think that with Allen there, his ceiling is probably capped on a week-to-week basis. But if something happens to Allen, I think that he's just going to go off. And the other question I have is just, how much do they trust Drew Alar this year? Do they want to pass the ball a little bit more? I think they want to trust Alar, but I also don't think the receiving options are overwhelmingly great. So I think there's a balance there in terms of deciding how you want to kind of split the the run versus the pass. So I'm cautiously optimistic that they actually run more than people think they're going to, but I still worry with another guy in the backfield there. And I don't even know where Allen's getting uh, is ranked uh, with us, but I, I, I don't know that there's a reason for a huge uh, gap. It looks like 68. I, I don't know that there, that kind of gap should exist between the two, quite frankly. Yeah. I honestly, I don't disagree with you too much, and I'm probably somebody who's guilty of having Katron Allen too low. But again, it's the entire industry. Like, Allen is, excuse me, y'all forgot to set mute to something there. Um, Allen is going as the RB54 in CFF drafts. You're talking about round 12, 13 plus here versus Nicholas Singleton, RB18 off the board. You're looking at the end of the third or fourth round here. Like, Huge, huge gulf between those two guys. And if you look at what happened last year, Singleton finishes the RB46, four top 25 finishes. You love to see that as a freshman. But he also has six finishes outside the top 75 running backs. And he only had over 20 touches in just two games versus with Katron Allen. Very similar kind of finish here, except maybe a little bit lower. RB65, two top 25 finishes, seven finishes outside the top 75. They really went back and forth a lot last year. And so... I like Singleton. I like Allen way better in like a best ball format because I have no clue which one of those two is going to go off on a week-by-week basis. But Austin, you alluded to it earlier. If Allen were to go down, Singleton's a monster the rest of the year. If Singleton goes down, Allen's a monster the rest of the year. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. You also kind of mentioned about the passing game and everything. Maybe that kind of gets him to run it a little bit more. Sean Clifford and Kayvon Lee open up 94 carries in this offense as well so even if they run just the same amount as last year like you said they don't have anybody behind these two guys an additional 47 touches going to allen or singleton could make it to where both of them are more than good enough for a cff finish so 
it's really funny because I think people presume because Singleton is the flashier and more athletic guy between him and Katron that he's probably the better receiving back. And it's actually the inverse. It's a very, very odd dynamic that they have there. I mean, Katron uh, basically doubled his receiving uh, production last year and was better on a per touch basis as well. So I do think that also hurts Singleton a little bit unless he's gotten I mean, he's 18 years old. There's a very real possibility that the kid just, you know, gets better and figures that out um during the off seasons here over the next couple of years but right now he's also not a great receiver which i don't love for him overall he did not look that comfortable receiving last year either all right let's go ahead and move on to my guys here again kind of referred to this at the very beginning of this little segment here i'm very interested in the guys that are on teams expected to dominate here so the two guys i'm looking at here jace mcclellan and travion henderson one of these guys I'm really in on this year. The other guy I'm pretty much avoiding at cost right now. So let's go let's start positive here. Let's go talk about Jace McClellan. I love Jace McClellan this year. Really the big question for him this year is like, what are the impact of younger guys like Jam Miller and Justice Haynes? Just last year, as the backup to Jameer Gibbs, McClellan still finishes the RB86 in all of CFF. And you might be thinking to yourself, like, oh, 86, that's horrible if you play NFL Fantasy. Yeah, but college, there's 133 teams. So that's a really, really good finish right there. There were times he straight up outperformed Gibbs last year. Just as, in, in my opinion, McClellan was just a better pure runner than Gibbs. Obviously, Gibbs had that insane receiving ability out of the backfield that just made him an entirely different weapon for people to deal with. But if we look at the old Miss game last year, which is, to me, kind of really gives us a look at what does Bama look like when they actually trust Jason McClellan to be that guy. 19 carries, 84 yards, didn't get any touchdowns. But Jameer Gibbs in that same game, six carries for three yards. So McClellan, I think, is a much better back than people are giving him credit for. I know, like, again, I'm not a C2C expert or anything over here, but, like, in those leagues... If you're talking about just the NFL value for him and everything like that, I think he's an incredibly underrated guy right now. I think a lot of people are so infatuated with um, the shiny new toy and Justice Haynes. And don't get me wrong, I love Justice Haynes. Incredibly talented back. I'm mad that Georgia didn't land him. That like Bama, Bama got a really good one there. This is going to be Jason McClellan's backfield. There's no doubt about that in my mind. He has the ability to run between the tackles. He has a pretty solid receiving ability. Again, 14 catches, 174 yards, and three touchdowns last year. Again, do I think he's going to be Jameer Gibbs? No. But do I think he'll get that 30, 35 catches that the number one running back for Alabama's gotten pretty much every year the last five years? Yeah, I think he absolutely can do it. So fully in on Jace McClellan this year. I think he's going to absolutely smash. Austin, your thoughts, man? I think we could do a whole hour to hour and a half show just on Jace McClellan. I think there is a legitimate greater than 20% chance. Let's say, you know, like a legit, like realistic opportunity or chance that he is, he sees a Josh Jacobs ish rise. Like he did his final year there at Bama. I think there isn't really a proven uh, three down skill set threat on that roster with him. I think Roy Dell's kind of a grinder. You know, Jam Miller, I think, will be relegated to minimal touches. Haynes, I, I don't expect as much from Haynes this year. And I think the other thing with Alabama this year is because the quarterback situation is just so, I don't want to say bad because I still don't think we know, but I think it's so up in the air that I think what they're, go they're going to rely on the run a lot more. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're, 
it's because the running back or the the quarterback is so unproven that they're going to want proven guys on the field with these quarterbacks who don't have a lot of experience. Yeah. So even Buckner and Milrow do not have a lot of experience. They have about the same amount, like three games worth uh, of college playtime, essentially. So I think they're going to want guys like Ja'Cory Brooks on the field, guys like Jace McClellan on the field that just yep. have experience that can pass block, that will get their assignments correct, that will be in the right place at the right time to kind of cut down on some of these mistakes that you could see from a new quarterback. So I actually think that that favors McClellan a lot. I, of any player outside the top 12 in our rankings, I think Jace McClellan has a chance to be a top five back this year, just full stop. I, I think he's going to have an excellent, excellent year. One other thing I'll kind of throw out here, and again, this is, um, me kind of going outside my comfort zone a little bit, but it is something I kind of find interesting the last couple of years. Bama, relative to where they have been, have taken somewhat of a step back. Obviously, they're still probably top five program in the country right now. They're absolutely incredible. But a lot of guys I've listened to that follow that program a ton really do kind of point out the fact that a lot of the guys in the trenches have been kind of lacking compared to what Bama has had in the past. That's why you kind of see guys like J.C. Latham and uh, this year Proctor being touted as guys that could be starting year one. I mean, J.C. Latham pretty much did start year one. They made a committed effort to going and grabbing guys in the trenches who are going to be physical, who are going to run the ball down people's throat. And I do think that is now going to pay off a ton for a Bama team that is looking to get back to its roots. And they have a guy in Jace McCollins that does kind of remind me a lot of, like you said, of some of those backs that Bama's kind of had in the past. Again, he's no Derrick Henry or anything like that, but I do think he is what Bama has been looking for in the running back. He probably would have been there sooner if he could have stayed healthy. So, And it really was only that one injury. It was. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously a torn ACL, it's a, you know, it's not a full hammy, but so I, I, I don't have, I don't have any, uh, worries that he stays healthy the whole year either. I think he can fully handle a 250 touch workload. Now let's flip this over. Let's talk about Travion Henderson, a guy who was incredible coming out of high school. He was the RB nine in CFF as a freshman. Like dude is obviously just insanely talented, but in his freshman year, he walked into a running back room that was looking for somebody to take the reins because there was nobody really there that they could truly rely on. Again, because of that, he finishes as the RB9 as a freshman, drafted as the RB2 in CFF last year, and finishes the RB133. Dude only hit 20 points just once, despite playing in eight different games. Now he was injured. Very limited. They were trying to get him back out there, but they never really could trust him to fully be healthy. I mean, he barely played in their most important game of the year. It actually, didn't play at all in the most important game of the year for Ohio State at the end of the year in the Peach Bowl. That's just kind of the kind of year that he was having. But because of that, you had guys like Mayan Williams step up last year. RB58, very dependable guy for Ohio State, almost 800 yards rushing or over 800 yards rushing for them last year. I don't think Mayan Williams is going to take a huge step back this year. Because again, they sh he showed that, hey, I'm a guy that you could rely on. Dallin Hayden, the true freshman last year, he stepped up and in my opinion really earned more work because he looked really good down the stretch as a good tandem there with Mayan. Chip Trayonum, a guy that we all loved at Arizona State, goes to Ohio State, goes to linebacker. He's now moving back full-time to running back. 
And then everybody forgets about Evan Pryor, another four-star running back who was really set to have a really good year, a really big year, his true sophomore year last year, and then he tears his ACL. So that loaded running back room is loaded, just straight up loaded. And unlike Jace McClellan, I don't think Travion experience-wise, talent-wise maybe, but experience-wise has the head and shoulders above ability that compared to the rest of the guys here. Again, I'm still blown away by the fact, by the way, that none of these guys transferred after the spring. Like, Evan Pryor, you couldn't find a better opportunity somewhere else. Like, Chip Tranum, I get. He's already, he's already got, he's already been um, transferred. But like, Dallin Hayden, couldn't ride that ability maybe somewhere else. Like, I don't know. That's a, that's a side conversation right there. But anyway, but again, let's look at the bright side here. Like, you know, Fields, Shroud, Ohio State could afford to pass a ton. Maybe Kyle McCord is not as good right there. Maybe they run a bit more. Maybe. But even with that happening, that'd be okay. If, again, if this was like a Penn State situation where it's like Katron Allen and Nicholas Singleton, that's it. They got like five legit guys here. I just don't see a path to Henderson beating his value here in this range. So... If you're betting on Henderson, you're betting on his talent that we haven't seen since his freshman year. Again, he's been injured, so fair enough on that. But that is truly a loaded backfield. It's not a bet that I'm making. I have zero shares of him this year. Austin, your kind of thoughts? Yeah, I agree. And again, another guy that, you know, in a C2C format, we we really, really like him. But in a CFF format, I'm probably not uh, really, frankly, interested at all, especially if it's a dynasty, because you know he's probably leaving after this year, too. So it's yeah. not like you're going to get... Uh, a couple more years out of him there. I do want to push back. I know some of my cohort here want to claim that he is uh, soft as a back. No, I don't. I don't think he's soft. I definitely think he's a more passive runner. I do think we could see a lot of thunder lightning with him in mind. And, and like you said, I do think they could could run the ball a little more this year. I think it's really going to depend on how Kyle McCord looks the first like three weeks of the year. If McCord doesn't look great, I don't think they'll bench him. I think they'll just say, we're going to run a little bit more. I think yeah. that's going to be their solution if he's like fine, but not amazing. So I, if you're, if you're hoping for a scenario to, to play out there, I think you're hoping that McCord is like, okay, but not amazing. And then it's just Mayan and, and Travion that get the majority of that work. And here's the good thing about Travion. Again, talk a little positive here. Dude is incredibly talented. Yeah. He is the kind of guy that any given touch, he can take it to the house. Like, 75-yard, 80-yard touchdown kind of guy. You don't need him to get 25 carries in a, or 25 touches in a game for him to be relevant. He could get 10 and just rip off a couple of 30, 40-yard touches, and you're pretty much good to go there, get a couple touchdowns along with it. So in that case, if you're betting on that talent, it's a huge risk in my opinion and definitely something better suited for like a best ball format, but not in redraft in my opinion. I wish they would use him a little more creatively, really the running back position as a whole there, a little more creatively as as receivers, because I do think he can do a lot of stuff beyond the line of scrimmage. They just don't seem willing systematically to use him in that way, because I do think that would add, just make his floor much more comfortable if they were, if they basically said, okay, we're going to give him 20, 25 receptions this year. I, I would feel really, really good about him regardless. But that's but I don't cr- think they want to. That's a crazy thing. He had 27 receptions as a freshman. And then last year, he gets four. What happened? What happened? I don't know. All right. Let's go and move on to the next range of running backs here. 
25 through 36. Number 25, CJ Donaldson out of West Virginia. Number 26, Devin Neal out of Kansas. Number 27, Jermaine Brown Jr. out of UAB. Number 28, Marshawn Lloyd out of USC. Number 29, Aiden Robbins out of BYU. Number 30, Ontario Brown out of Northern Illinois. Number 31, Jalen White out of Georgia Southern. Number 32, RJ Harvey out of UCF. Number 33, Caleb Johnson out of Iowa. Number 34, excuse me, Audric Estime out of Notre Dame. Number 35, Richard Reese out of Baylor. And number 36, Bucky Irving out of Oregon. So, Austin, looking at these 12 guys here, what do you see as kind of a general vibe amongst these guys? Um, It's a lot of backs that I don't particularly love. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's a lot of transfers in here as yes. well. Um, so I, th- I think that's probably the thing that, that sticks out to me. But a lot of guys that I just don't really have a lot of in my leagues, quite frankly. Fair enough. Again, like I, I see a lot of guys, really, in my opinion, there's a lot of guys here that we're really hoping take that next step, whether it is their running back room is not as crowded as it was last year, or maybe you know the guy ahead of them has moved on to the draft. We're hoping some of these guys move to a transfer destination that really, really helps them out there. Lots of projection in this range right here. So let's go ahead and start with my two most important running backs for this range. And I'll start here with Mr. Marshawn Lloyd, the running back out of U or out formerly out of South Carolina, now at USC there with Lincoln Riley. Of course, we want to get Lincoln Riley's running back one right here. USC is going to score a ton. Riley's been more inclined to having a top running back in the past. You know that running back's going to get plenty of scoring opportunity right there. Just look at last year. Travis Dye, not your typical protocol, uh, prototype of a running back. RB14 through week 7. Again, RB24 through week 10 before he got injured in week 11. So really, really good floor just because of the offense that they are in but kind of similar not similar to uh, Marquez Cooper because we're not really projecting but to him over another guy but Austin Jones is still there and Austin Jones after Travis Dye went down last year wasn't spectacular but he pretty much kind of picked up where Dye left off you know 20 plus carries probably 80 90 yards a touchdown or two every single game just a very consistent load there he didn't do anything to embarrass himself. It's not like he went onto the midfield logo and took a dump. All right. Like he is a guy that's familiar with the system. And to my, in my opinion, probably will get the first carry into going into week one. There's a huge gap in ADP between these guys and CFF right now. Lloyd going as the RB 29 end of the seventh round. Jones is practically going undrafted. Just practically going undrafted. And it could, and honestly, he, I, he's not my answer for the later question we have about a guy going outside the top 20 who could be a top 10 RB, but he'd be a pretty darn good answer in my opinion. This situation reminds me very similar, and I give Andrew Katz credit on this for kind of making this comparison. I think it's a very apt one. Y'all remember Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray? Oklahoma in 2021. Eric Gray, fantastic at Tennessee, transfers to Oklahoma. He's going to be Lincoln Riley's guy. And we all forgot about Kennedy 
Brooks. That year, Kennedy Brooks was being drafted as the RB59, finished as the RB46, had a high of RB25. Brooks kind of got banged up a little bit towards the end. That's why he kind of dropped a bit. But at, at a, his high point, RB25. Eric Gray was being drafted as the RB14 that year and got a finish of RB166. Our, his highest he got was RB108. So this is definitely one of the more dangerous picks I think we could be making this year. Now, granted, again, he's going lower than Eric Gray did in 2021. So that tells me we learned our lesson a little bit there. And it's not like I don't like Marshawn Lloyd. I think Marshawn Lloyd, if he stayed at South Carolina, he'd probably be a top 36 running back for me. I think he's a good running back. And I do think he is probably coming back. Or he's coming back from that injury pretty well now. So I think he's a good running back. It's just the difference in value between those two guys is absolutely insane to me. Austin, your thoughts here, man? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you summed it up there really, really perfectly. This isn't a backfield that I feel strongly one way or the other about about Jones versus Lloyd. Um, so I, I'm avoiding Lloyd, and I haven't really been – I really haven't been taking Austin Jones. Maybe I, I should if, if I'm, I'm fading Lloyd just as a – you know, to complete that logic circle. But – I, I don't feel great about either of these guys. And I also think, you know, really Brown is a little more of a receiver, but I do think he gets some snaps there. Like he's not going to get rushing touches really, but I, I think it's going to be a, a little bit of a rotation of guys. So I, I don't really love um, any of the guys that are upperclassmen there. If I'm playing in leagues that are like, you know, dynasty long-term formats, I actually just prefer the freshman there just to kind of avoid the headache. I've been taking a lot of Quentin Joyner and uh, not so much with Marion Peterson, but I, I think uh, I just am more interested in those guys as stashes rather than trying to figure out who it is this year. No, absolutely. Fair enough. We'll move on to my other guy here. One of three freshman running backs to hit a thousand yards last year. Somebody that pretty much nobody saw coming going into the year. Mr. Richard Reese running back out of Baylor finished as the RB32 last year, the second highest among freshman running backs there. He had a high of RB16 through week nine. Had an incredible, incredible stretch right around the midseason uh, between Kansas and Texas Tech. Two 30-plus carry games there, 140-plus yards, multiple touchdowns, which is an absolute monster. And then it all just stopped. The staff went from having him do 36 carries in a game to four the very next week without pretty much telling anybody about what was going on there. Apparently, he is injured, very limited the rest of the year. So the question now is, does Richard get back to where he was last year? Because if he does, you're looking at a guy that, again, through week seven or through week nine was the RB16. You're looking at a top 20 running back here. But they do bring in Dominic Richardson, who... He shouldn't scare me because Dominic Richardson's not a good running back. But people I know who follow Baylor pretty closely are saying that both the beat reporters, beat reporters, excuse me, and the staff are kind of talking up Richardson a little bit. So maybe this does become a bit more committee-ish than we really want to see with somebody like Richard Reese. Again, he finishes the RB32 last year, being drafted as the RB35. That's pretty much drafting him right at what he finished last year. So, I don't know. It's a bit of a risk there. It does not help that Reese is a tiny guy, 5'9", 175 pounds, so he's not really built to carry a huge workload. Austin, your thoughts, man? Yeah, Chris K likes to give us a hard time about being sizes. Um, but 5'9", 175 is just so small. 
in a power five conference, I just don't feel amazing about a guy like that being a bell cow. The, the deuce bonds are pretty few and far between. Yes. Uh, when, when looking at some of these conferences and obviously guys that like Reese will, will point to him and say, you know, Vaughn did it in the same conference. Uh, Reese can probably do the same exact thing, but I'm, I'm a little skeptical. I do think somebody rotates in with him, whether that's Richardson or, or somebody else, just so they're not running 170 pound, five pound guy up the middle, 20 times a game. So I am, I am not super interested in Richard Reese. In fact, I do not believe I have him rostered anywhere now. Cause I think he's a bad player. I just think the value is a little off where I think it should be right now. If I had picked him up for free last year, like many people did, I'd be cool with it. Yeah. Uh, holding on to him, but uh, at, at his current value, yeah, I'm, I'm not super interested. And you brought up Deuce Vaughn, and like, oh, he, he's like Deuce Vaughn did well in the Big 12. That is very, very true. But you know what else Deuce Vaughn didn't have happen to him? Injury. And we just saw Reese have to be limited after he was given the workload last year because he got injured after that heavy workload. So again, I don't think the staff is going to move back to that for him anytime soon here. So Definitely somebody I feel like we just need to be talking about a little bit more there. Again, I still think he's good. I still think there's a possibility that he comes back. The staff is gung-ho about, all right, let's get this guy 20, 25 touches per game or targets per game, or not targets, you know what I mean? But like, let's try to get him the ball 20, 25 times per game. Probably has some good games here and there. Because again, he's a pretty explosive guy. Several games above six yards per carry last year. But again, just know you're taking a risky guy there. Austin, let's look at some of the guys that you're interested in here. Tell me about your two guys. Yeah, so I chose Ontario Brown and Audrey Gastme, Um, the two biggest backs of this group, I think. From a side, Donaldson's pretty big too. Um, but uh, two guys that I think the backfields have opened up quite a bit, and I just want to see them kind of consolidate that that backfield touch share and really make those backfields their own. Ontario Brown, I think we finally have gotten rid of most of the pesky backups there at NIU. They have uh, Gavin Williams who came in this year from Iowa, but I don't, I don't like going on shows and saying like, I don't think this guy is good at all. Like obviously they're significantly better athletes than I've ever been at any point in my life. And obviously yeah. earned division one scholarships uh, off of it, but I don't think that Gavin Williams relative to what I would expect a good, uh, you know, the D one back. I don't, I don't think he's, he's anything that's threatening there. I think Brown is uh, a, a much better athlete than he is and, and just looks the part. We got that run back in 2021 with him that really made us excited for him last year. I do think he's suffering a little bit from that post hype. Like we're just, we all got burned last year and we don't want to play that game again, but I do think that he could have a monster year. He doesn't really catch the ball at all, which, you know, kind of hurts um, the, the overall floor and ceiling. But I think, a Mac running back that could have that back foot all to himself and a system that has produced some pretty good rushing numbers in the past. I think he's really more or less a no brainer this year, especially if the other pieces on that offense are healthy this year, because then you can't just stack the box with him with Rudolph returning and with Lombardi there for, I don't know how many years he's been there now, eight, nine, 10. Um, I, I think Brown is, is, there's a little heat off of him too, which I think will help. I have been really big this year on the idea that NIU will find a guy digging through the dumpster outside the stadium, put him in pads and make him run as a running back. They're so committed to the committee, but I can't take away the fact that in 2021, like Javon Ducker 
was the lead back for them. Out carried Harrison Whaley by a good hundred touches and a good six hundred yards. But even so, back then they had this pesky little fullback named Clint Radkovich, who got thirteen freaking touchdowns, and Javon Ducker was stuck with three. Now, Ontario Brown's a big boy, so if they are inclined to go back to that Javon Ducker role, I don't think they're going to have a Clint Radkovich go out there and steal those goal line carries away from him. Because again, Brown is a pretty big boy. He is very elusive. He is the top rated recruit i believe in niu's history so i think they have some incentive to showcase him this year i'm starting to come around on the idea of Ontario brown i've been very vocal about you know i i can't get past the committee thing can't get past the committee thing the more and more i kind of look into it kind of coming around on him so i think it's a great call out here austin what about audric estime what what are you looking at there yeah, I think Estime even had, you know, some more talented players in the backfield with him over the past couple of years. Chris Tyree, not the same kind of player, but offered something really, really different than what they had and was very, very explosive. He's playing receiver now, supposedly. Um, Logan Diggs is gone. And I think Logan Diggs is better than a lot of people gave him credit for. I actually think uh, in terms of like NFL prospects, I think Logan Diggs is a bit more of a complete back than a guy like Estime is. So I think he was, he was kind of the, the well-rounded guy in that backfield. So those two are gone. The other players there right now are Jabran Payne, who, again, I don't want to sit here. Like, I don't think he is a Notre Dame quality player. He was a panic grab when they lost out on some of those other guys that year that he came out of high school and they needed a body. They went and poached Payne from Indiana, I believe, late in the process. He, he's not a guy that I'm really excited about. Then the other guys there, um, you've got uh, Jeremiah Love, who's coming in this offseason. Yep. Uh, not uh, He's not undersized. I think he's like 190-ish with the opportunity to bulk a little bit, but he is definitely not like a college level, um, like college level strength yet. I don't think he's quite gotten to that. I think we see him a little limited this year. And then they've got Jadarian Price, who looked really great last year, but he's coming back from an Achilles. Like I'm yeah. never betting on a running back year one coming back from an Achilles. So I really do think it's just going to be the estimate show this year. Um, I, I'm pretty high on him from a, just a, production standpoint this offseason i think the offense there will be better this year overall a little more well-rounded um so i think i actually would probably take him over i think he's probably my favorite guy out of this bunch quite frankly he is mine year. i think the the floor is just super super safe with him he is mine too i have him as my rb18 again he's rb34 here i'm pretty sure it's chris moxley dragging him down so I he I was on the clock the other day in a draft and Estime was sitting there and I pulled up our rankings. I was like, why is Estime so low? And then I clicked where you can see where everybody has him. And I texted Moxley and I was like, what do you know that none of these other guys know? Like, did you update this? And he was like, oh, I just think he stinks. I was like, okay. So I mean, fair um, enough. But like, but then then who who in this backfield is 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 uh, would you expect then to rise above Estime? I mean, you can say committee, but this kind of gets to my point. Between Logan Diggs, Tyler Buckner, and Drew Pine last year, there are 128 vacated carries on this offense. And probably even more since, again, Chris Tyree's moving to wide receivers. That's another 100 carries that opens up right there. So 348 carries, we'll say just at max, 348 carries are opening up in this offense. Notre Dame's going to run less than they did last year because last year they had to run the ball. That's why they kind of split it up between multiple guys because they had to run it so much. But 
So you so take away like maybe like what 50, 75 of those carries. So that's still like two hundred and seventy five carries right there. Take away maybe like twenty five more because they're probably still going to give Tyree some carries even though he's moving to wide receiver. You're still left with like two fifty touches. Obviously, not all of that's going to estimate, but he's already got one hundred fifty six carries from last year. If he can get like seventy five, a hundred of those carries, you're talking about a guy well north of two hundred carries right there. So I 100% believe that he is going to have a very safe floor, and especially if he keeps up his efficiency from last year. Last year, he almost hit six yards per carry. Very safe floor guy. I love estimate this year. I think he's getting a little too high, I'll admit, in ADP a little bit. Again, he's up to RB15 this past month. That puts him right around like Marquez Cooper, Jace McClellan. Like I'm taking those guys probably ahead of Audric SMA. Uh, Rodney Hammond, I definitely would take a get over SMA. Because again, SMA, like... For all the opportunity I see here, it's still projection versus those other guys. I've kind of seen them do it already. So cool it a little bit on the SMA. I know like a lot, a lot of us experts got on him really quickly right around the same time. So it kind of shot up a lot of people's rankings, but I say bring it back down just a little bit. All right. 15 feels rich. Yeah. All right. So that's our top 36 running backs. Let's go ahead and talk about some guys. Again, we kind of talked about a couple guys already that are going too high for our tastes. But let's kind of break down three guys real quick, Austin, that in a CFF format we think are going too high. I'll start here. We kind of touched on it earlier with the UCLA running back room, but Carson Steele I think is going too high. Again, there's a possibility he's probably not even the starter at UCLA. There's kind of been back and forth on where he's kind of in that pecking order. Whether it's the RB2 right behind TJ Harden or at the end of the spring practice, the 247 writer was saying that he was the clear RB3 with some fumbling problems and stuff like that. So... You guess that figured out, I'm sure he'll be fine. But even still, I think it's pretty clear he's not the far and away best UCLA running back like we want him to be. And he has come down since the spring. Because like, in like the first draft we did, he was being taken in like the second round. Now he's kind of dropped down into like the round 5-6 range. Still way too high for me. I'd much rather take TJ Harden at a much, at a much better value later. We'll talk about him in a second when Austin talks about his guys that he thinks are going too low. Frank Gore Jr. is another one I think is going too high. He's somebody I've bumped down in my rankings recently because I've just kind of come around to the fact that I do like him as a talent. But man, last couple years, his value has come directly from just three or four big performances throughout the year. This past year was three big performances, one of which wasn't even during the fantasy season. Week one and week 13, so on the very end of the season... That accounted for one-third of his regular season fantasy production. Otherwise, he only finished above 20 points just one time, and that was on week 12. So if you had him on your team, you would have given up on him by that point, pretty much. And you would have see him go for 20 points in week 12 and be like, oh, that's a fluke, and then you don't even get the championship monster game that he had in week 13. Obviously, you love to see that he finished with three strong performances there at the end of the year because 20 points in week 12, 30 plus points in the um, in the championship in week 13 and in the bowl game as well. You love to see the strong finish. It still just feels like a much better best ball play than a redraft play, especially where he's being drafted in the top 12 running backs. I'd want a running back who's way more consistent on a week by week basis, even in best ball. Like I still want to have that safe floor guy in the top 12 guys, and then I'll shoot for upside later. Last guy here, I'm going to, this is kind of a throw in here at the very end, but I did see his value starting to rise this this month, so I'm going to nip this in the bud. 
Josh McRae, running back out of Illinois. Guys, Illinois is going to run a committee this year. They are, they've been pretty, pretty open about that from the coaching staff that what they did with Jace Brown last year was 100% by necessity because they just kept getting guys injured. They got McCray, they got Love, they got Caden Fagan coming in this year who is expected to kind of play a role because that dude's a freaking monster of a human being. There's just other guys in that range that are much better shots, in my opinion. Caleb Johnson, either one of the Boise State running backs, Ontario Brown we just talked about, RJ Harvey out of UCF. Just, I'd rather take any of those guys over Josh McCray. I think his value is getting a little too rich right now. Austin, what about, or quick thoughts on those guys? And then you can get to your three guys. No, Illinois is one I agree with. And I didn't understand the Chase Brown hype last year either. I think the Chase Brown gang got super lucky that McCray went down like game one. Because otherwise, I think he would have been, you know, RB40 on the year or whatever. I, 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 that, that, the people who had him ranked very highly and that worked out for them last year, I think that was uh, quite lucky for them. All right, Austin, go ahead and let us know. Who are you looking at as guys you think are being drafted too high in CFF? Yeah, I'll start with CJ Donaldson at West Virginia. It's not just because I'm a Pitt fan and I can't stand West Virginia. Um, really, uh, he only played six or seven games last year and he left the Texas game early. So whether you want to count that one or not, you know, is up to you. He really had two big games last year. That opener against Pitt where I don't think Pitt was prepared for him at all quite frankly that opening game um because he was supposed to be a tight end and then he showed up at running back so you know seven for 125 in that game and then he against Towson he went nine for 101 every other game he was like average to to below average in terms of rushing efficiency he's not a big receiver which is odd to me or at least wasn't used that way last year which is odd to me since you know he's got a tight end background and I think the most important thing actually to, to consider with West Virginia this year and I I think West Virginia is going to potentially be, they won't be the worst power five team because Northwestern exists, but they're going to be really, 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 really bad this year. Like really, 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 really bad. I think they're going to be terrible. It's a, a coach that they clearly is a dead man walking. They don't have a very good quarterback with nobody really there to throw to. The offensive line is not particularly strong. I think they're going to, their defense isn't great. So I think they're going to be behind a lot. Like I just do not get the CJ Donaldson stuff. So RB 20 um, is like, I wouldn't even consider him until like RB 40, like double that. Like, I, I just don't love him this year. Uh, Jade not actually, now that it seems like he he's dipping a little bit, I actually don't mind the range he's going in RB 45. I thought he was closer to 40. I like the receiving floor a lot, but I just don't think they want to use him as a rusher consistently. I think that's why I know they didn't have anybody in that rushing room, but I think that's why they, they also went out and got, players that are capable of playing, especially a guy like Byron Cardwell, who I think will share the load there. And I don't expect that Cal offense to be particularly good. So I think, uh, you know, RB45 feels about right for Ott. And then Devin Neal, again, another going, I just think this is going to be a split backfield. I think Kansas is going to be worse than they were last year. I don't think the game script is going to be super helpful for him. I like him. I think he's a good player. And I think he's going to go to the NFL and be a good player there. But RB28 feels really, really high to me. I would... I, I don't do my own CFF rankings. feels like something around 40 would feel more appropriate there for him. Yeah, I think that's roughly where I have him around. So quick note on Donaldson. He scored through week nine before he got injured, 107.7 points. I have him in my stat sheet here as a tight end because that's how people were playing him last year. 107.7 points. What do you think through week nine that would have put him at in the running back range? 
40. Try in the mid 50s. Mid 50s, okay. So like, I think a lot of us kind of have a, almost a little bit of an inflated view of Donaldson, even though I, 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 I think there's a possibility that they're going to run the hell out of him this year because that's what Neil Brown likes to do when he's the one calling plays, which we recently saw him say, I'm going to call plays this year. Donaldson's probably going to get a crap load of carries there, especially with Tony Mathis now over to Houston. It's really just Donaldson there. He's going into a sophomore year, probably going to be better. Regardless, like, he was, you know, tight end one for us last year, so we have this super high opinion of him. Once you compare him to other running backs, it wasn't really as impressive as a performance as we were kind of giving him there. So I think it's a good call out there, maybe. Um, Jaden Ott, I like Ott for the most part, but again, like I understand why people are down on him with all the guys they're bringing in. Now, some of those guys like Byron Cardwell, it turns out they're still not doing very well at Cal. So maybe they're not threatening Ott as much, but again, don't like that offensive coordinator hire. And then I completely agree with you on Devin Neal. I don't know if Kansas will be worse, but again, it's just you have Jalen Daniels there who's going to vulture away some of those rushing touchdown abilities right there. Um, Hinshaw, their other running back there, was honestly outperforming Neal at times last year before he got hurt. So again, just a lot of risk with Neal as your third running back off the board there, a top seven round pick. I personally have not grabbed him at all this year. Let's flip this to the positive side here, Austin. And I'll have you go first on this one. Who are three running backs that you think are being taken too low and people should be taking more seriously? Yeah, I went with one premium option here, Jace McClellan. And I think there's, a, like I said, a legit chance that he's a top five running back this year. RB16 feels really, really cheap. Like I think just they're going to rush a lot more and I don't think there's anybody there that's going to take away a ton of touches. So, And, and he's a more than capable receiver. So I really expect... I don't know, 225, 250 touches for him overall. I think he he does pretty well uh, there for Alabama. Harden, we've talked about it. I don't know that I would want to feel ballsy enough to like rank him. Well, I, and for C2C purposes, I do have him ranked over Carson Steele because I don't think Carson Steele is an NFL running back. But I think like it's one of those where, you know, he's at like Harden's at 70, it steals at 25, and it should be probably like, you know, 40 to 55, you know, that the, you know, the, the range that both those guys fall in should be much closer there. So I, I like his value a lot at RB 70. And then John Lee Elridge, I think is an interesting guy. I listened to the BTR pod when they had what JD Yonke on and they talked um, uh, Mount West and kind of some of these programs. And I think Eldridge, I, I th- they presented both sides of the argument very, very well. He sounds like he's up to 195 or so. That's excellent in terms of being able to handle a bigger workload. I think he's probably one of their more talented offensive players. So again, if you're just trying to get the ball in one of your better players' hands, I think he he can be that guy. The cons, you know, they they, they tend to split a lot of those touches, and there's some other. He's very unproven, so I, I get the hesitation. But RB fifty two, I think that there's, uh, I, I really really like the upside with that pick, even more than some of the guys you know that we've talked about in the top thirty six. Like I think yeah. he has just as much upside, if not more, than a couple of those guys. Yeah, Brad Roberts finishes the RB13 last year. And, like, do I expect Lee Elridge to get the 350 carries and 1,700 yards? No, but, again, I think you're probably looking at a back that's a pretty safe top 25 running back still there. Um, Especially, like you said, if they are going after a guy that is just someone who they're wanting to get their best player the ball, and it sounds like he is their best player. TJ Harden? 
You might not be brave enough to rake Harden over Steele. I am. I have Harden as my RB38 right now. Only reason I don't have him higher is because I'm still a little worried about Steele. If I was fully, fully bought in, which I have a ton of shares of Harden. I've grabbed him in a lot of my CFF Dynasty leagues. I even traded for him. Um, by the way, Austin, again, I know you don't play a ton of CFF Dynasty, but like Harden for Zachary Franklin. What, what do you think of that trade? I, I like Harden. Just, I mean, I don't just assume that Franklin's going to step into a leading role at Ole Miss this year for what it's worth. I, yeah. I don't know if that's correct opinion or not. So I, I'd probably rather have Harden. Yeah. Thank you for validating my position. Um, anyway, you had the non the non CFF guy come on just to validate your position. I yes, see. that's exactly okay. how okay. this works. Um, anyway, all right. Let me talk about some of my guys. I think are going too low here. Number one, Cody Schrader, running back out of Missouri. Again, a lot of us were on Nathaniel Pete last year. Did not work out at all. Now, granted, he was injured, but even still, Cody Schrader showed that he was a pretty good running back down the stretch for them last year. Kirby Moore. Moore, uh, brother of Kellen Moore, comes in as their offensive coordinator. He's going to run the Fresno State offense, and if you look at what he did with Jordan Mims last year, he is going to want to find himself a top running back. And he pretty much had, like, Fresno State, every year that Kirby Moore was at Fresno State, he was give, they were they had a top clear running back, except for one year in 2021. That was mostly because Roddy Rivers got himself injured. So Jordan Mims last year, over 1,500 yards, 19 touchdowns, just an insane stat line. And then we also got some confirmation with the Missouri running backs coach and Curtis Looper saying that Schrader will be a thousand yard running back in 2023. Shout out to Nate Marquise for finding that nugget out there. And and as Nate points out in his tweet, Looper knows a thousand yard running back when he sees one. He has coached 10 thousand yard running backs in his career. So I'm taking them very seriously and I'm drafting Cody Schrader way before RB 78 as he's going in ADP right now in the 17th round. Oh, and by the way, Eli Drinkwitz, he's only the number three coach in America when it comes to getting his number one RB fantasy points per game over the last five years. So yeah, love Schrader right there. I think he's a great value. Malik Shabraz, speaking of Fresno State, Malik Shiraz stepping up where Jordan Mims was. I mean, just look at what Ted Ledford and the Fresno State system have been able to do the last couple of years with Ronnie Rivers, Jordan Mims, running a lot of the same stuff there. Why is Malik Sherrod not being given the same treatment here? He's going as the RB85 in drafts, like 17th round, like late 17th round there. Tedford is a top 20 coach over the last five years for the RB1 production. Feels like an absolute steal there later in your drafts. Last but not least, this is a guy I've not talked about at all pretty much the entire season, mostly because, like, you know, I didn't love where he was going when the season first started, but I knew he was kind of dropping a bit. Didn't realize he was dropping to the RB82, but Trey Sanders, running back formerly of Alabama, heading over to TCU, now down in, like, the 17th round. I get we're worried about him not being the same five-star running back of the past, lots of injuries. Totally, totally get it. But if he goes into TCU and he becomes their top running back option, like he's in for a really, really good year. Again, Bryles is not typically one to split the load a ton. Just look what he did with Raheem Sanders last year. Granted, Raheem Sanders is probably a much more talented running back than Trey Sanders is. But even still, like they're willing to give the guy, their number one guy, a ton of carries there. Um, you see uh, Sonny Dykes is also another coach who has been in the top 20 for RB1 production right there. Here is... so. This is kind of the comparison I've t- I came up with. So we talked about Marshawn Lloyd earlier. 
what is the difference between Marshawn Lloyd and Trey Sanders? They're both formerly top recruited running backs who got injured, didn't really work out at their original school, now heading to programs or systems that have a top running back option or who usually have a top running back option there. There are guys there who provide a little concern in terms of like how long they've been in the program with USC, you got Austin Jones with TCU, you got Amani Bailey there. But what's the difference between those two guys? Marshawn Lloyd's being drafted as the RB29 as if it's clear as day that he'll be the number one guy. Trey Sanders is dropping to the RB82 because people are afraid of Amani Bailey. I don't get it whatsoever. I think Trey Sanders is an absolute value right now. Even if it doesn't work out for you, like RB82, you're talking about your seventh running back off the board there. Like if that doesn't work out for you, oh, well, like he should be going higher. What do you think, Austin? Yeah, I think Sanders versus Lloyd. Lloyd feels easier to stomach just because he's only had one injury, whereas Sanders just has multiple. I think that's really the only difference between them. I think if if you're sitting down thinking about it, just the two major injuries from Sanders is really, really tough uh, to stomach. I wish if I knew that Trey Sanders was a better receiver, I would feel really good about him. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't remember him being a plus receiver out of high school, and then they never used him that way at Alabama. For what it's worth, he didn't play that much. I, he is an interesting player. He's an interesting player. I don't know that Imani Bailey is what I'm scared of. I'm just scared of him not being able to hold up because he's had two like significant injuries. I mean, that car crash that he was in, True. they didn't know if he would play again. So like, I, it's it, it, it's 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 scary. But yeah, you said you, if you're taking him as your RB seven, I mean, screw it. What the what the heck? Yeah, what the heck? Again, this is this is assistant that gave us Kendra Miller last year. If you go by the offensive coordinator, he gave us Raheem Sanders last year. Like. TCU, if their offense keeps going this year, their top running back is going to eat. And if Trey Sanders is healthy and he, you know, again, he doesn't have to, basically he doesn't have to be five-star Trey Sanders to be to be a productive CFF running back here. He could be even three-star Trey Sanders and he'll still be pretty good here. RB82 is a crime, dropping way too low. All right, real quick, Austin. If you could have one running back competition that you could have the crystal ball to see the outcome of, which one would it be? Yeah, first off, the fact that you don't have Jade on blue on the Texas side is just personally very, very offensive. I I only had two guys on here. I'm sorry. Uh 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 Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I picked UCLA. I think we've kind of talked about them a lot, so I don't want to belabor the point too much. But I just think if we – and I do think there's – realistically maybe a chance that we just see both of them this year like i don't know that either one of them is so amazing that i love either but i just like the the value of harden a lot more than steel if i'm taking one um but i i would want to know exactly how that backfield shakes out this year i don't even need to know who ends up being the starter i just want to see if you could show me the touch distribution at the end of the year i'd be happy with that going into drafts yeah for me texas i want to know who the number one running back is there texas Steve Sarkeesian, I've talked a lot about coaches that are in the top 20 for RB1 production. Steve Sarkeesian is the number one coach regarding that. So he's had pretty much a 1,000-yard running back everywhere that he has gone. Even if it seems like it's going to be a committee to start the year, he finds the one guy and he rides them. So I want to know who that guy is for Texas. Three main candidates there. Again, Austin, you ribbed me for not having on Blue, but like, Jonathan Brooks, CJ Baxter, and Jalen Blue all have legitimate claims to being that guy. All three of them have some level of talent. Brooks has probably the most experience out of the bunch. 
I want I would I would just want to know. Just give me a name. This is the top running back because once I know who that top running back is, I know they're a thousand yard back, and I know they're criminally underdrafted right now. I don't mind people at all taking shots on any of the three guys right now for Texas. Again, if I look up the ADP real quick, um, I believe that we have. Let's see. Oh, so many other non-Texas people. Yeah, CJ Baxter is going the first out of the three at RB59. You have, let's see, Jonathan Brooks down there at RB87. And then Jadon Blue is going undrafted for the most part. So, like, you take a shot on any of those three guys kind of at value there, I'm kind of fine with it. I think Jadon Blue, because he's going undrafted, probably the best value out of the bunch, but kind of get why he's going three. So, if I could have the crystal ball in any of them, I would want to know who the hell the Texas number one running back will be by year's end. Yeah. Let's talk real quick, Austin, here about some guys who've been rising throughout the offseason. These are guys that if you're just tuning into CFF, like, you know, you're taking a break during the offseason, you're trying to get back into it. You might not have heard of really some of these guys or you're thinking like, what? Like, where did this guy come from? Got three guys here. We talked about one of them earlier with John Lee Elbridge out of Air Force, who kind of explained why people are kind of coming around on him. Ashton GNT, the true sophomore out of Boise State, is the second highest jumper from RB75 in March to RB40 here in June. Logan Diggs and Audric Estime seems like drafters really liked the fact that those two separated themselves because Logan Diggs has gone from the RB92 to RB61. Meanwhile, Audric Estime's gone from the RB45 to the RB15. So big jump for both of those guys there. Logan Diggs now at LSU. And I know more than one person who believes that Diggs will be the number one running back for LSU going in. Austin is one of them. And then last but not least here, we got Cam Porter, the running back out of Northwestern, rising from RB97 to RB67 recently. I think that's just people kind of coming around to the idea of like, hey, Northwestern ain't much, but they'll run the ball. And Cam Porter seems like they're clear number one guy. So we'll just kind of go with that. Austin, of these five guys, anybody kind of really stick out to you as somebody that either you have a good explanation for, like that didn't already talk about, about why their value's risen? Or frankly, is there anybody here that you think the the way they've risen is completely unwarranted? Well, I can tell you right now, I'm not drafting a single or rostering a single Northwestern player on any roster this year. So Cam Porter, I'm sorry, buddy. I don't care if you're the leading RB there. Uh, you're gone. You could probably put Barry Sanders on that roster, prime Barry Sanders, and I'm probably not super interested in him. Um, I don't want to take too much credit as the leader of the Logan Diggs hype train, but I have been pretty big on him over the past, uh, I don't know, six to eight weeks. I just think the marriage with Brian Kelly is just very obvious. I mean, it's a guy that's familiar with him. They don't have a lot of experienced upperclassmen who have taken advantage of any opportunities they've had in the past there i think there's a legit chance that Diggs rushes for 1200 yards in the sec this year i, I think he's a, a gonna have a, a pretty dang good year so he is a guy that i have been he's been growing on me a lot uh, and i luckily i drafted a lot of him last year so i have been holding him in a lot of places and i, I nice. have held him i haven't cut him anywhere yeah i'm, I'm a big Diggs guy uh, I, I i totally get why my only thing is that lsu like they have a lot of jags there who, again, Diggs might be the most talented guy out of that room. I just think there's enough guys there that are going to keep him from truly reaching the ceiling. But again, kind of thought about that with LSU in like 2020, was it 2020 or 2021? That was the Tyrion Davis Price year, I forget. Um, but like 
that year, I thought it was going to be a complete mess. And Tyrion Davis Price did break out from the bunch. And I do think if you get that this year, it will be Logan Dix. So, all righty. One last thing that we're going to touch on here, Austin, is some guys that are going outside the top 20 rounds who could finish RB10 or better so we're talking super deep guys that you're like at the end of your drafts you're really trying to hit those home run guys you did not put down a guy here so i am going to give you two names here one of which i think you're going to like one i I have an answer i didn't want to sound dumb if i put it because i don't know no no, i want to hear this now no no they'll give you an answer i want to hear it you go first you go first so if, if i'm thinking about a guy like this i'm i'm trying to think of offenses that are going to be really good this year so there's going to be some touch opportunity and some you know just opportunity for lots of scoring i actually if something happens at washington and dylan johnson becomes the guy there i actually love dylan johnson this year okay. i think he's the most i think he is the most talented guy but obviously he's the new guy so we'll see if he uh can take that job or not but yeah i i think that he, if he gets that job that offense will be prolific enough and he's a good enough receiver where i think he could i don't think he finishes in the top 10 but i could see him as like an rb2 type finish this year if he actually gets that job yeah, I, I like that answer way better than the other name that I had written up on here. So uh, we're going to go with that, and then uh, nobody's going to find out who that second name I was going to put out here. I will say, I am very, very in on this guy I'm about to talk about here, and I have to give and- credit to Andrew Katz here. I, I contract- contractually obligated to give him credit because he was the one who really kind of put this name out there, and the more and more I dug into it, the more and more I'm kind of coming around to the idea of it ladies and gentlemen potentially your next mohammed ibrahim no not sean tyler let's go over to rutgers yes that's what i said rutgers mr samuel brown the fifth first of all awesome second of all this dude was off to a pretty impressive start as a true freshman last year again has your kind of normal like you know one touch game one Against Wagner, they gave him a little bit more. Got two touchdowns, 66 yards in that game. So they kind of gave him a little bit more run. And by the time October rolled around, he had games of 15, 16, and then 28 carries. They were ready to start rolling with this guy right here. Then he gets injured. Out for the rest of the year. Sucks. Absolutely sucks. Because it really felt like after that point that Rutgers completely fell apart. They have no running game outside of Brown here. Like, uh, you can tell me about Mogange or Mo- Monan- Monangai. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. My apologies, uh, Mr. Kyle out there. Monangai played 12 games and only had 109 carries for 445 yards and two touchdowns. Brown played seven games and almost outproduced him. 86 touches, 374 yards, and three touchdowns. They clearly, clearly have a huge drop-off behind Brown here. In addition, you have Mr. Kirk Soraka coming over as their offensive coordinator from Minnesota. Minnesota, your ears are peeking up. That's where Mohamed Abraham starts coming into play here. Obviously, Abraham, massive, massive year last year. 320 carries, 1,665 yards, 20 touchdowns. That was good enough for a top-four RB finish last year. Now... Maybe Samuel Brown doesn't get that, but even still, back in 2019, Rodney Smith, 228 carries, 1,100 yards, 8 touchdowns. 
I think that Brown's in for a much better year than we're kind of giving him credit for. I think Soraka is going to want to run the ball is a big reason why Soraka left Minnesota is because Minnesota was like, nah, we want to throw the ball more now. Soraka's like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go over to Rutgers where they appreciate me. And I got myself a nice size running back over here who's 5'9", 210 pounds that I can run 30 times a game because that's what I want to do. I think Samuel Brown, if you're looking for somebody who has a ton of upside that's in a system that really, really benefits running backs like this, I think Samuel Brown V is the guy to target at the very end of your drafts. Now, because I say this, he's probably going to jump up well into the top 20 rounds, and I'm going to cry a little bit because I have to pay more for him. But Austin, your thoughts there? I like him a lot. Um, and I think that he probably eventually has a spot in the NFL too, for whatever that's worth. I, not, you know, it was a second round pick or anything, but I, I think he is an NFL level talent. So a guy like that at Rutgers that doesn't have a lot of NFL talent on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, yeah, I, I think he'll end up being the focal point there. And again, kind of like Cam Porter, there is the side of this of like, oh, it's Rutgers. How much scoring opportunity is he really going to get? Fair point. He only had three touchdowns when he played in seven games last year. So like clearly like Rutgers is going to struggle to score. Like Minnesota, they at least get the Big Ten West so they can, you know, are competitive with a lot of the teams they play versus Rutgers is over there in the Big Ten East. Hopefully that changes a little bit as, you know, Big Ten dissolves their divisions and everything like that. But regardless, like Rutgers does have a pretty tough schedule. So there's a there's definitely a lot of concern there. But also sometimes you just want to go get guys who are the best players on a really bad team because you know they're going to be touch hogs. Or, or excuse me, volume picks. I need to, I need to make sure I say more, volume yeah. picks more. Yes. TM, yes. TM, yes. Volume picks. Thank you, Justin, for that wonderful phrase. All right. Um, I'll go ahead and say it real quick. Um, the other name I kind of threw out there, very similar vein in terms of like probably best player on a really bad team. Take advantage of a little bit of the Iowa State conundrum kind of going on where it sounds like they're going to lose Decker sounds like they're going to lose Brock for the year for gambling charges Cartavius Norton was a guy a lot of us were really high on last year and he looked pretty good when they actually let him kind of get the volume that we would want from an Iowa State running back so if they do rely on him and you know he's good and JJ Cole turns out to be a halfway decent quarterback he could be somebody that again we've seen Iowa State running backs be absolute monsters in the past so Another guy, just take a shot on round 20 plus. Offense is going to be bad, but unlike a lot of these teams that the offense is going to be bad, I actually respect Matt Campbell as a coach and think that he generally is going to make the right decisions and push the right buttons. So I could see him getting the best out of a guy like Hartavius Norton, who I agree with you, I think is the most talented back on that roster by a fair margin, especially with Brock out of the picture. Alrighty. Well, we're going to end it right here, going right above an hour and a half. So, Austin, appreciate your patience and being willing to talk about running backs for this long. Before you get out of here, Austin, can you let the people know kind of what you're working on and what kind of things? Can we tease anything for Campus again while you're here? Uh, I can't quite tease anything yet, but we do have a big announcement coming, I believe, a week from today when you're listening to this. Um, Ooh. that's all I can say on that. Yeah, Jared knows what it is. I know um, it is. it's pretty awesome, y'all. I didn't realize it was so that, soon. Yeah, it's it's finally uh finally done. It took a little longer than than we had hoped. Um, other than that, I literally am just like resting up right now because once the season rolls around and doing like seven shows a week and it just gets freaking bonkers. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of the chill time of the year. All the guides are done. All the rankings are 
you know, set for the most part. I mean, it's, it's kind of the, the coasting into college season. So, um, but yeah, everything I do is over at campuscan.com anyway. Yeah. Again, we got, we're going to continue our crash course series here next week. We'll be discussing some wide receivers. We'll be discussing tight ends a week after that. Maybe if I'm a masochist, I might do a show on kickers and defenses because you know, Oh, why not? Oh. Gonna, you're gonna kill the download numbers, Jared. Come I know on. you're not wrong. Like I, 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 full, like, I thought about that earlier, and I'm just like, that's gonna be like a quarter of the downloads. Like, no way somebody's gonna. I, I do know there are people out there who would see that and be like, this man went and sat and talked about kickers and defenses for an hour and a half. I have to see what this man has to say. But that probably won't be happening. Again, we got a lot of great stuff coming up with um, chasing the natty. Um, be sure to continue to, uh, to check in on the. Uh, live CFF drafts we do every Sunday night. If you're listening to this now, we got the Thor Nystrom on this uh, last night. We got some awesome guests coming up in the next couple of weeks that I think you guys are going to really, really enjoy. It's a ton of fun. Love hanging out with you guys there. But until then, really appreciate you guys for listening, and I hope you guys have a wonderful and blessed week. See y'all.